This is God's word. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We praise God for his word, and we look forward to hearing more about it in a few moments. Well, let's take our Bibles together and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Hey to the church in Philadelphia, verses 7 and following, page 1235, if you've got a pew Bible, 1235, Revelation chapter 3. I imagine if you've been here over these Sunday nights and we've been looking at these letters together, I imagine that you, like me, have found yourself thinking, what must it have been like for those churches to have heard Jesus' analysis of them first time round? must have been quite a thing, wasn't it, to, to be gathered in to a congregation, to hear this message brought to you, knowing that it had come directly uh, from John, revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, an up-to-date analysis of how you were doing as a church. And don't forget, you're not just hearing uh, your own story. You're hearing the whole book. It's not as if there were seven different letters that went all around the place. It's that the whole book of Revelation was taken by the, the, uh, the, the, the chap who, who delivered it, the postman, as it were, who delivered it and, and brought it around, and they would have taken it to the first one and presumably copied it out and then taken it on to the next one and copied it out and so on. And, and so as you were hearing the analysis that was coming for your church, you would already have heard the others. So here you think about Philadelphia, and they're, they're waiting to hear what Jesus thinks of them. And, and it, we're going to see in a moment, Philadelphia didn't think an awful lot of itself. They knew that they weren't that strong. And so you, you hear these five other uh, analyses of the churches before you, churches that you know very well, some of the people that you might have known in those churches… Sardis, for example, just 30 miles up the road. And you hear Jesus really at points very scathing criticisms of them. And you're thinking, what on earth is he going to say about us? And then it comes. You get to that part in the letter, chapter 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, and you hold your breath. And what follows to your absolute astonishment 
what follows contains no criticism at all. Did you notice that? Nothing but encouragement and commendation and promise of blessing. So that's what's happening in Philadelphia. It's the most positive of the analyses of the seven churches. And the thing is, it comes to the least impressive of the churches. They are, according to verse 8, according to Jesus, they are weak, they have little strength. Some of the other churches would have considered themselves very much more significant than they were. And yet it is them that Jesus commands. Doesn't that teach us something right away? That simple point that we have to make so often because we forget it so easily, and that is that Jesus sees what we don't see. And he looks for what we don't look for. And he rejects what very often we treasure, and he treasures what very often we despise. But it is his analysis that counts. And and we need to look at our churches and our, our lives and our world with his eyes. And part of the way that we do that is by looking into his word carefully to see what he praises and what he condemns. So, so, so we, we look into his word to, to get the lenses through which to look at everything else. Well, Philadelphia was the the next of the churches, the next major city after Sardis. It was about uh, 30 miles southeast of Sardis. It had a very uh, strategic location. It was situated at the the border of uh, uh, three regions, and it was also on one of the major Roman roads that went into the east and into the interior. I always feel as if I'm saying about every church that was in a very strategic location. They all seem to be in very strategic locations, but, but this one really was. And its location had been recognized, actually, as a strategic location by uh, uh, many years earlier by the Greeks. And they had sort of set up Sardis as, as a, sort of, a, a sort of a Greek mission station, if you like, a model of Greek culture. And the idea was that people would come and look at Greek culture and they would think, wow, Greek culture is really very special. We should be like that too. And so Sardis had that sort of set up to be that sort of mission station for Greek culture because of where it was located. Lots of people passed through it and so on. Now, we know today that Turkey is one of those regions that is unstable in terms of earthquakes and so on. And it was the same then. And in AD 17, a major earthquake occurred in that whole area. It mentioned, it, it, it uh, affected several of the towns that are mentioned in Revelation. But, but Philadelphia was the worst hit. And not only that, even after it was rebuilt, it continued to suffer aftershocks as well. So uh, Strabo, the ancient historian, wrote this. He said, the walls never cease being cracked and different parts of the city are constantly suffering damage. That is why the actual town has few inhabitants, but the majority live as farmers in the countryside as they have fertile land. So you can imagine what was happening. There were frequent aftershocks, and the people were were getting really uneasy, and they were running out into the fields and and, and maybe living out there for a day or two until they really felt that things were, were safe again. The church in the city was small. Verse 8 tells us that they had little strength, And they also suffered from opposition. And the opposition seems to have come by and large from the Jews because uh, here, as in Smyrna, they are referred to as the synagogue of Satan. That's in verse 9. But although there had been persecution, 
The church had borne it bravely, and Christ commends them for their faithfulness. He says in verse 8, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So opposition has come, and they've just remained faithful. Do you know what? We, 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 we read that, we sketch over that so quickly. Think of what that was like. It was hard. They were under pressure. It was costly to go God's way, and they got it right. Now, you remember that a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Sardis, had a reputation for being alive, and yet Jesus said it was dead. And here, Philadelphia probably doesn't have a reputation at all. People might have said, didn't even know there was a church in Philadelphia. In the eyes of the church, in the eyes of the world, it, it was almost insignificant. In the eyes even of the rest of the church, it maybe wasn't all that significant. And yet, it is commended in Christ's eyes. Do you know, I think we're going to get to heaven, folks, and we're going to see that so many of the things that we've put at the top of the list are at the bottom. So many of the people that we have put at the top of the list are right at the back in the cheap seats with the rest of us. We, we, we really do not see things the way Jesus does so uh, often. Now, to this little church, Jesus says, see, I have placed an open door before you that no one can shut. That's the real uh, banner that's over this church, the church of the open door. What does that mean? Well, sometimes in the Bible, it's referred to as an opportunity of evangelism and witness, and you could sort of understand that being at this strategic location. It was a mission station for Greek culture. Is, is Jesus saying that's a mission station also for the gospel? We could understand that. So 2 Corinthians 2.12, for example, says, Paul says, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Colossians 4 and 3, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. There's a great, a, a great thing to pray, isn't it, for the church? You're wondering, what should we pray for the church? What should we pray for Hill Street? Pray that God will open a door for the message. So, so witness might be part of this open door. We're going to say a little bit about witness in a moment, but, but probably, probably this is talking about an open door into the kingdom of God. It is the door of welcome and access to God. It is the door of salvation. Jesus is saying, the door of salvation is open to you, little, weak, struggling church. Three things to say tonight, very simple things to say. First of all, Jesus secures a heavenly welcome which cannot be challenged. I hope that even the very titles that we use tonight are going to encourage your hearts. Jesus secures a heavenly welcome that cannot be challenged. Now, you see how Jesus introduces himself here? He says in verse seven, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Now, you remember we've said that these introductions that Jesus gives of himself in the introductions to each of the churches are often seen as a link back to something in the opening vision of chapter one. But here, that's not the case so much. In chapter one, Jesus is holding keys, but they're the keys of death and Hades, the keys of death and hell. And, and here, it is the key of David. And that's an Old Testament reference that comes from Isaiah 22, 22. There it says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David, 
And what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. It's a straight reference to Isaiah 22, 22. Now, Isaiah is speaking about a man in that book called Eliakim, and he has an important position in that he is steward over the king's household. And the idea is that Eliakim controls access to Jerusalem. He is the one who has authority as the gatekeeper, as it were. Now, in Revelation, you see, this is taken and it's applied to Jesus himself. He is the gatekeeper. He's the one who controls access not to Jerusalem, but to the new Jerusalem, to the heavenly kingdom. He's the one who controls who is in and who is out. He's the one who controls access to salvation. Remember, Jesus says this in John's gospel, John 10, verse 7. Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. It's the same picture. So Jesus introduces himself to his people and shows himself to be the one who controls access to the kingdom. And sometimes we, we hear people say, do you know what? It, it's lovely to be a Christian, but you know, so many people that don't know about Jesus. Maybe, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's some other way by, by which if they're sincere and they follow the path laid out for them, then, then there'll, be a, a, there'll be a welcome for them too. We're not reading our Bibles if we think like that. Jesus is the one who controls access to the new Jerusalem, to the heavenly kingdom. All who come, come through him. That is why we ought to feel a passion as John was saying, to take the good news of Jesus Christ to those who do not know it. And then he says to them, as the gatekeeper, as the one who controls access, tremendously important position, he says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, what encouragement that must have been for those people. You think of them, they're, they're weak, they're struggling. It's been tough, tough, tough for them. Some of them had grown up Jews. Their whole life, their whole culture, everything about them, Jewish. And then they'd come to Christ. And what had happened, they had been expelled from the synagogue. Now, what do you think that meant? That just didn't mean that they weren't able to come to the service at 11.30 on a Saturday. That meant that they were out of the community. People didn't talk to them. People crossed the road. They were despised. Many of your friends and acquaintances cut you off. Your family perhaps said, we don't want anything more to do with you. You know that that happens today in some parts of the world. If a son or a daughter becomes a Christian, the family holds a mock funeral, coffin, empty coffin, carried out of the house to say, as my son, if you've become a Christian, you're dead to me. It's over between you and us. Our door is close to you. That was the case for these Jewish Christians, some of them at least. And Jesus says to them, the door of the synagogue may have been closed to you, but the door to the new Jerusalem, it's open. 
and no one, but no one can close it. Some of them would have been Gentile Christians, maybe the most of them. They came to Christ. Things were difficult for them too. They had doors close to them as well. Remember, we've said so much of society in those uh, towns and, and, and in that uh, uh, time revolved around idol worship and emperor worship and trade guilds and all of those things that a faithful Christian could not participate in any longer. And all those doors then were closed to them. And, and, and in the very early days, you see, of the church, uh, Christians were seen as being aligned with Judaism, and the Jews had some protection in the ancient world, and, and they didn't have to participate in the things that the Gentiles sort of participated in. They were given some latitude. And so whenever the, the Christians were seen as being sort of part of the Judaism, as part of a Jewish sect, they, they, they shared that protection. But now the Jews were pushing them out, and they were saying, these people don't belong to us nothing to do with us. It's over to you. We're closing the door on them. You close the door on them too. We're freezing them out. You freeze them out too. And so these Gentile Christians were just getting it really, really tough. Doors being closed to them everywhere. And Jesus says to them, my door to you is open and no one can close it. A weak church of little strength. And yet Jesus says to them, I know you have little strength. You have kept my word and not denied my name. They hadn't compromised. They didn't get sucked into immorality. They didn't tolerate false teachers. They didn't bow the knee to the culture. They were faithful to the Lord Jesus. Just a long obedience in the same direction, day after day, week after week. They'd have met each other at church. Tough week? Yep, tough week. Going into a tough week? Yep, going into a tough week. Keep going. I'll keep going, you keep going. That's what it was like. You see, Jesus says to us, if we're here tonight, we're Christians, we're trusting in Christ for our salvation, not in anything else. Jesus says to us, the door to heaven is open to you. I have opened it, I'm the gatekeeper. And no matter what else is close to you, this door is always open. It cannot be taken from you. No one is going to grab the keys from me. It's always open to you. That's true for you, true for me. And understanding that, grasping that, living in the light of that is, is fundamental to so much of Christian living and service. Knowing that, that Christ has opened the door is, allow, is what allows you to be at peace in the uncertainty of life. When you find that you are plunged into uncertainty, you know the phone call comes, the situation happens, the symptoms arise, the appointment comes. Whatever happens, you see, you're able to say, well, do you know what? I don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold. But Jesus has opened a door for me that no one can shut. I've got access to him. That's really good news. This door might, be open to, might not be open to me. That door might not be open to me. But Jesus controls the one door that really, really matters. That's the door to eternal life. It's what allows us to live at peace in an uncertain world. It's, allow, it's what allows us to, to serve him with our whole hearts. Because you see, if, if, if that door is open to us, 
what else do we have to achieve in life? What else is there that we, we've got to tick off our bucket list? We have found what really matters. The greatest prize ever is, is secured for us. We didn't deserve it. We, we, we couldn't open the door, and yet we were given it. You know that Luke 13, Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Don't you know that? That, that this door that Jesus controls, you can hammer away on it all you like, but only Jesus can open it. But if we are here tonight and we know that, that he has opened that door to us by his grace, then surely the one big question in all of our lives is settled and we should be free to serve him. We've nothing left to prove. So we can live for him entirely. Temptation. You're struggling with temptation? You find that that... that as we were singing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What's part of the antidote to that? Isn't it surely knowing that, that Jesus has opened the door for us, the door that we did not deserve to ever see cracked open an, a, a millimeter, and he's thrown it wide for us. Think of that. Think of, of him saying, look at this. Look at this access that I have achieved for you. Now won't you live for me? This is the truth that allows us to stand in difficulty. Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. You see, we can do this even if it's hard, not in our own strength, but because of Jesus. Even if it becomes so difficult for us that we are persecuted, knowing that Christ has opened the door for us will allow us to stand. There's a great story about John Chrysostom. He was an early preacher in the, I think about the third century. And he came up against an empress, Eudoxia. Never heard of her before, but she was important then. And uh, she threatened John Chrysostom with, with banishment, and he told her, you cannot banish me, for, for this world is my father's house. She said, but I will kill you. Chrysostom said, no, you cannot, for my life is hidden with Christ in God. Then she said, I will take away your treasures. Chrysostom said, no, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there but I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. He said, no, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to harm me. You see, Jesus says, I'm opening a door. What else is there? Are some of us wavering a little bit tonight? Here we are. We started off well in September. It's now October. It's getting hard. I don't really want to follow you, Lord, because 
Some of the places that you're asking me to follow you in are just too difficult. Some of the things that you're asking me to do are, are just too tough for me. It means I, I lose out too much. It, it, there are options that are closing off for me. There are doors that are closing. If we think like that, we have forgotten that Jesus has opened a door for us, and that's all that really matters. So that's the first thing. Jesus secures a heavenly welcome that cannot be challenged. That was really the bulk of what we wanted to say tonight. We've got two other very short points. Second thing is Jesus delights to bless his faithful people. One of the, the pictures of that open door is that opportunity of witness, and, and Jesus seems to be saying here that he's going to work through them. He promises, it seems, that his witness, that their witness is going to have impact. Verse 9, the second half of it, as he's speaking about the Jews, he says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, some of the commentators say that this is a reverence to the end of all things when all will bow it before Jesus and his church will also be vindicated. But others, and I think this is right, are saying that at least some of those who are presently opposing the church, so the, the Jews who, who are persecuting them, some of them will come and acknowledge Jesus to be the Messiah and the Savior. In other words, they will be converted. And we shouldn't be surprised at that because Jesus has a real track record, hasn't he, of, of dealing with people who persecute his church and bringing them on side. He's doing that today. There will be people who yesterday were persecuting the church, and today they are singing his praise. Think of how he was with Paul. He met him on the Damascus Road. Why do you persecute me? And then he became an ambassador for the gospel. Maybe some of us remember times when we mocked Christians, gave them a hard time. And now Jesus has turned us around, a grief giver to a gospel believer. And he's going to do that here, he says. Now, wouldn't that help them? If, he, if they knew that, wouldn't that help them be long-suffering with their enemies? You know, they would, they would go out into the marketplace. Some people would be giving them a hard time, and they'd be thinking, some of these people are going to join our church. Don't know who it's going to be, but some of them will. We ought never to write off anyone, should we, as far as the gospel is concerned. So-and-so will never become a Christian. We, we say that, don't we? They're just really, really hard. But that's God's job, isn't it? Our job is just to lift up Jesus, show them Jesus. It's God's job to save. No one is beyond his reach. And the Philadelphian church were going to see that because some of those who were against them were going to become brothers and sisters in Jesus. And of course, it's not that Jesus is going to make them strong in order that that would happen. No hint of that here. He's saying, He's not saying, you know, you're weak now, but I'm going to strengthen you, and then you'll get on with the business of mission. Not at all. It's in their weakness that he's going to use them. So again, you know, some of us, I, I know you, some of us are, are going into situations this week, and we feel completely inadequate for that. Absolutely intimidated by some of the people that we're going to meet. And we're supposed to be witnesses? And Jesus, as it were, says, you know, it's, it's weakness that, that's okay. Remember, he says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He, he, he keeps, sends even, a thorn in the flesh to Paul to keep him weak 
presumably to stop him trusting in himself that he might depend upon Jesus. And if you feel weak, you're already there. You're in the place that Jesus wants you to be because you're depending upon him. You're not too weak for God to use, but you can be too strong. So Jesus is going to work through this faithful church, and he's going to preserve them as well. You see, verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Again, folk are divided about this. Does this refer to uh, probably, I think, the, the fact that persecution is going to come in an even more significant way at that time. That was the case around the, the emperor Domitian, who seems to be around this time. And, and right across the whole empire, it was really tough for Christians. And does this mean that they weren't going to face that in quite the same way? It certainly means that they're going to be kept, even if they have to go through it, not necessarily missing it, but being preserved in the midst of it. Isn't that what Jesus does? He, he preserves his church. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to look back and we're going to say, Lord, you preserved me. I, I, I don't know how I could have got from, from the time that I was converted to the time I went to glory. The only explanation now I see is that you preserved me. There was no other way. That's what these folk will find. So Jesus delights to bless his faithful people. Last thing, just in a word, Jesus calls us to forward-looking faithfulness. You see, what do you say, to, what do you say to, to a faithful people? You say to them, keep going. Keep going. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And he gives a number of encouragements for them to keep going as they wait for Jesus. You remember, Philadelphia was an earthquake zone and, and people ran out of the city. They, they, they weren't, you know, you didn't say as safe as houses in Philadelphia because your house was liable to end up in a heap uh, after a, a couple of weekends of, of all these tremors. And so they were really looking for something more stable. And you see what Jesus promises in verse 10. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. That's great, isn't it? You're not gonna have to run out of the temple in heaven. It's not going to get shaken. You're there for good. The reward that Jesus gives us is secure. And not only that, but, but, but we're really sure of belonging to him because Christ says he's going to put his name on us. Remember, remember we've already looked at the fact that, that our names are written in a book. That's great. But here, his name is written on us. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Do you remember those days of going into school? And if you turned your eye away from your desk for more than 10 seconds, everything disappeared. Do you remember? All the thieving wee boys that I sat beside just took everything off my desk. Pencils, pencil cases, calculators, the, 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 the very keys to my house, if, if, if I had them. Maybe that was just the school that I went to. I'm sure that doesn't happen here. So the first thing you did was you put your name on everything. Pencils, school bag, your forehead, everything. And here it's the same. Three names written on it. One to do with God, one to do with the church, one to do with Jesus himself. Just to underline, isn't it? They're mine, they're mine, they're mine. They're my people. They're part of the church. They've been bought by the Savior. 
Jesus just making the point. Faithfulness is going to be rewarded. You won't be the loser. Opportunities are there. If you take them, you won't regret them. So Jesus secures for you a heavenly welcome that cannot be challenged. He delights to bless his faithful people. He says, keep going. Be faithful as you look ahead to all that he has for you and for me. I don't know what you're heading into this week, but do you see that Jesus sets before you an open door? Nothing to fear. Nothing to treasure apart from that. Because that door can never be closed if you're a believer tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that the door that we could not open, you have opened. And we thank you that that door being opened can now never be closed. We praise you for your grace and mercy, which is so precious to us in the uncertainties of life, in the pressures of temptation, in the difficulties of our culture, in the things that we're going to face this week, will you help us to know that for us, because of Jesus, the door is open. We pray in his name. Amen.